I think it's important that we have specialists that we could refer to, but we should start the conversation. And not all women will start the conversation. Welcome to the Global Wellness Summit podcast. I'm your host, Kim Marshall. This week's episode is so fun and warm and fuzzy and sometimes even straight out raw and honest. We have all girls for this episode too. A millennial, a Gen Y, and a baby boomer, all comparing notes about women's health. To the guys out there, listen good. I promise you'll learn something about the women in your life. One of our guests is a certified hormone and fertility coach, a Reiki instructor, and a podcast host. One is an Ivy League-educated, board-certified internal medicine doctor and adjunct professor. And then there's me, a wellness storyteller. We'll talk about everything from health disparities among disadvantaged populations, our doc worked in community health for 12 years, to fertility, our millennial guest is actually pregnant, to menopause, and even the joy of dance. You'll laugh, and if you cry, we hope it's a good cry, and we hope you'll be inspired to find your posse, your own community of trusted friends to confide in, to be real with, and to learn from when it comes to the normal phases of life we all go through. We'll share tips on how to have a healthy pregnancy, why lifestyle choices matter so much to your own longevity, and why caring extended families and even prayer help ensure better health outcomes. For Pete's sake, even our sponsor, Vireo Systems, is talking about all natural feminine healthcare products. So pour yourself a cup of tea and get ready to open your minds and hearts and meet Nina Boyce, host of the popular Healing Hormones podcast, and Nicola Finley, integrative medicine doctor at Canyon Ranch Wellness Resort. Well, here we are, ladies. I am so thrilled to have two powerhouse women with us. One, a millennial, and the other, an <laughs> almost millennial. <laughs> so let's describe who we're with. Uh, first of all, Miss Nicola Finley, MD. Would you tell me your title and what you do for a living? Yes. I am uh, Dr. Nicola Finley. I am board certified in internal medicine, and I did a fellowship in integrative medicine. I am a staff physician at Canyon Ranch in Tucson, Arizona. Is that all? Okay. Well, actually, I'm. <laughs> now that you ask, yes. um, I am also an adjunct professor at the um, Mel and Enid Zuckerman School of Public Health at the University of Arizona. Oh, you know, that's the university. Isn't that where Andrew Weil is associated? That's correct. Okay, well, I have a crush on him. Uh-huh. I met him in 1996. Uh-huh. He, you know, changed a lot of people's worlds, and I love what he's done. But also, I just want to say, as a overachiever, Dr. Finley. <laughs> Where else have you gone to school? We know you went to Coral Springs near here at the Breakers, not far, for high school. And then where did you go? For college, I went to Brown University in Providence, Rhode Island. And then for medical school and residency, I went to the George Washington School of Medicine in Washington, D.C. Oh, you poor thing. You really should have tried harder. <laughs> you know, John Kennedy Jr. went to Brown, so I always wanted to go there. And then I saw the campus this year. It was a big year for me. <laughs> It's a beautiful campus. campus. Well, it's one of the oldest colleges in in America, right? One of the Ivy Leagues, yeah. It's a great school. One of the Ivy Leagues. Happy that I went there. Okay. I'm from Alliance, Ohio, the home of the Jeannie Garage Door Opener, so I hope you're jealous. I I am. That's quite a fact. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. We are going to talk about so much, but we are also joined by one of my favorite podcasters, (laughs) Nina Testa Boyce. 
Nina, tell us what your um, podcast is about. So my podcast is called Healing Hormones, and we talk about all things women's health, hormones, fertility, a lot about helping women to transition off of birth control. And I'm also getting certified to be a fertility awareness educator. So talking about how to either avoid pregnancy naturally or achieve it and get you know really close into that fertile window. And here's how she knows what she's talking about. How many weeks pregnant are you, Nina? <laughs> I'm now 19 weeks. Okay. Well, you know, podcasting is kind of a new thing, but it's really been embraced by the millennial generation. So we're so glad to have Nina here when um, two more, a little bit older women are talking about wellness. So first we'll start with Dr. Finley. Dr. Finley Canyon Ranch is, if, for those who are listening that don't know, one of the premier destination spas in America. And I would guess, I worked at Rancho La Puerta early in my career and for the Golden Door, which was the godmother of all spas in North America. And we now work with Esalen, right? But what the legend goes that Mel Zuckerman was inspired by his visit to Rancho La Puerta to start Canyon Ranch. And then also that the founders of Esalen were in the audience when Aldous Huxley spoke at the ranch and they we're inspired to create Esalen. So look at this now generationally. Here we are with you, a woman of color, a daughter of immigrants, and you're from Jamaica, right? My parents are from Jamaica. That's correct. And you are first generation? Yes, I am. Okay. So here you are now at one of the premier destination spas. What is your role there? Why do they need you at Canyon Ranch? Well, I think when we think about internal medicine, we think about integrative medicine, it's really a personalized journey and it's really personalized medicine. We have four physicians at Kenyon Ranch, so I'm one of four physicians. And I think what I bring to the table is that I feel very comfortable talking about spirituality in medicine. Yeah. I do. Who and are you? I know. <laughs> and I love talking about hormones. I went into menopause early, so we can carry that conversation from the fertility side with me, the menopause side with me. And I really love getting to know our clients at Kenyon Ranch. We have, um, we've, we're pioneers in the space of um, wellness resorts. So as a result, we have many clients who come year after year, sometimes a few times per year. And I've gotten to know them. I've gotten to know their families. I am a very, um, I'm a people person, so I know our homeowners very well. And I enjoy seeing our clients one-on-one, as well as giving a variety of lectures at Canyon Ranch. And here's the thing that people might not know about Dr. Finley, is that when you go to a destination spa, you can just bank on spending, I would guess, a minimum of $3,000 a week. It's up to 10 in some places. So that is an elite group of people who can afford those benefits of an hour-long exchange with a medical professional. But you did the yin of that yang, Dr. Finley. Tell us about your work with less advantaged communities in the area. Yeah, thanks for asking. And yes, I worked at a community health center in Tucson, Arizona. Uh, The name of that center is El Rio Community Health Center. I worked there for 13 years, right out of residency. So how I paid for medical school is I did this program called the National Health Service Corps. They paid for my medical school. And at the time, GW was the most expensive medical school. And I owed them time in an underserved area. So it was between Boston, Boston Healthcare for the Homeless, or Tucson, El Rio Community Health Center. So I figured I have a three-year commitment. 
let me go to El Rio for three years. I fell in love with Tucson. I fell in love with the community. I really enjoyed taking care of um, an underserved population. Tucson is an hour away from the Mexico border. So when I worked at El Rio Community Health Center and the local hospital, St. Mary's Hospital, a large number of our patients were are Mexican-American, or when I worked there, Mexican-American or Mexican immigrants, as well as the Pascua tribe, a Native American population. So I felt as if that's why I went into medicine, to make a difference for the community and giving back to the community. And I felt I did that for 13 years. 13. I know. So Nina, this brings in podcast. Most podcasts are free. If anyone has an, a phone, you know, yeah. a smartphone, they can listen. So tell us about who's listening to Healing Hormones. A lot of my listeners, I think, are between like the ages of 20 and 40, to be honest. They've been on birth control for a while. They are looking to have a different option. A lot of them are trying to balance their hormones naturally. But to be honest, there is a wide range of people listening to podcasts. Like in general, my podcast might be kind of in that age range, but overall, especially in the world of wellness or hormones, whatever resource you're looking for, there's a podcast out there and the ages are from kids to People, grandmas. And since it's free, this is what's so great, Dr. Finley, like someone in an underserved community, they normally all have phones. So this is why we love to direct them to these tips. In every one of our episodes, we really try to put down-to-earth, realistic tips. So as women face hormonal challenges, and you saw these underserved populations, what were some of the problems you saw? Regularly. In terms of hormone wellness specifically or just in general? Women's health in general. In women's health in general. I saw the complications of diabetes um, affecting pregnancy. I saw the menopause and how women want to treat menopause and how in the medical community we might guide them or not guide them. There's a little, there can be a little bit of a conflict there within the medical community. Hormonal health is so important, especially hypothyroidism or low thyroid. I think those would be the big ones that I would mention. So what were some of the most surprising findings? I listened to your wellness masterclass for the Global Wellness Institute and I encourage everyone to go on there and listen to it. But there was something positive about the Latino community that we talked about, Nicola. Can you share that with us? Thanks for asking. And so I talked about health disparities in um, Black communities, in the Hispanic or Latinx community, and Native American community. And when I talked about health disparities, I shared a few statistics, and I talked about something called the Hispanic paradox. Yeah. And um, and it's the, um, the statistic that I'll read is... Hispanics showed a 24% lower all-cause death rate or mortality rate than white Americans despite having more risk factors. So despite the fact that in our Latinx community, there's a higher rate of obesity, there's a higher rate of diabetes compared to white Americans, but yet their death rate is lower. Okay, that is so hopeful. And why did you find that that's true? Well, I call it the Nana effect. Mm. It's really the social connections. What we find, and I found this to be the case working at, for 13 years at El Rio Community Health Center, the family supports their their family members. And there's uh, often a matriarch, matriarch of the family, the Nana, and um, they support each other. And those social connections really can help buffer stressors that we have and can help overcome um, some medical conditions potentially. So you told me about a time that 
a matriarch was sick and you had to move outside or whatever. What was that? Yeah, that's such a great story. This is when I worked at St. Mary's Hospital. And when I worked at St. Mary's Hospital, our patients were quite sick. And just overall, our El Rio uh, patients are, are, um, have lots of chronic medical conditions for a variety of reasons. Um, and there was a patient, um, an elderly a Hispanic a Mexican woman who was in the ICU and uh, took a turn for the worse and she wasn't doing as well. And so I needed to have a family meeting. I needed to explain to the family members what was going on so they could ask questions and really understand what was happening. There were so many people in this family that there was not a room available at the hospital for me to have this family meeting. So they gave me the permission, the family members, because of privacy. And we had to have it outside in this courtyard. And I, and I had to look from person to person to person to person. It was a very long meeting, but important to have. And it just reflects what we've been talking about, those social connections and the importance of family. I think in many cultures, in addition, in the Hispanic culture. But the 25% uh, longer life because of it. And remember last night we were saying at dinner that I first met um, Andrew Weil in 1996. I worked with the International Spa Association and he spoke on a panel with Herb Benson, who first did meditation, all that at Harvard studies. And then there was a prayer doc, Dr. Larry Dossie, Dossie, who's from Texas. And he said he couldn't get over with his patients how people kept praying when someone was in surgery. And he's like, these people praying. And he did what most, you know, scientists do. He did the double-blind study. And his first book was about, does prayer make a difference? And he found undeniably that patients who were prayed for by their loved ones or whoever, you know, before surgery fared better, which sent him on a journey. And this is what I, I really brings me to the millennials, because just like you just said spirituality in your practice, and I went, oh my God, Dr. Finley, that's so courageous. A generation ago, you wouldn't really talk about spirituality. That was your private thing, and you just, you know, didn't want to be made fun of. How do you think millennials are when it comes to spirituality, talking about it? I think that they're opening up a lot more about it. I'm a Reiki practitioner, so I have this whole other idea of energy and how spirituality works into all of it. And I find that a lot of my clients are receptive to that. And it's like not just, it's not just about nutrition. It's not just about lifestyle. There's also this element of spirituality and energy and how that affects our health and our hormones. And so when you were saying the story about the, the patients being prayed over, I was like, oh, of course, that makes total sense to me. But I do find that our generation is, is picking up on that and really valuing that more now. So we said this today, Dr. Finley, I don't know if you heard about the mental wellness, that people in the millennial generation and younger, they love going to therapy. And they'll talk mm -hmm. about it. Oh, it's my therapy appointment. What are you talking about? Whereas boomers, my husband's like, I don't want to go to therapy. What are you talking about, right? So it's the same with talking about hormones, menopause and before. So what have you found with people opening up in different communities and talking about? Yes, I'm just laughing because I definitely would agree. And I'm so excited, Nina, what you're doing. I think that's Thanks. great for all ages. And Ooh. it's too bad that women over 40 are not listening because I think we could they all be They will. might yeah. be listening. So. I just have found that that is like the go-to audience. <laughs> I hope so. Uh, so sorry, Kim, to get 
back to uh, your question. What I find is when women feel safe, we open up. And at Canyon Ranch, we have created a safe environment so women feel comfortable. Um, because I have an hour with my patients, I'm not rushed. I don't inter- interrupt them. I um, allow them to tell their story. And when you allow, a pa- everyone has a story to tell. And when you allow patients to tell their story, they'll tell you what's important. And hormones often are important to women. And I want to help them. And what's nice at Canyon Ranch is that I have, uh, there are Reiki professionals, just awesome. like Nina, <laughs> there that I can refer patients to, whether it is also nutrition, spirituality, fitness. It's a, a wide variety of practitioners and an integrative approach. So I think that's what's really important, feeling safe enough to talk about a topic that someone might feel is taboo. Um, like Nina, I don't think it's taboo as well. I love talking about a variety of topics and I'm comfortable talking about topics. But I find as providers, if we're not comfortable talking about the topics, then our patients are not comfortable. So we can't give what we don't have. And I think that's what's really important. Well, I'm not talking about myself now in this at all, of course, girls. I'm not. <laughs> but I will say that it's all well and good when you turn 14 or however young people are starting their periods these days to be like, daughter, it's okay. It's just a part of life. But you don't have that same welcoming when it comes to menopause and the challenges that you face. The hot flashes is one thing, but it's there's no men around here, so I can say any of this. <laughs> The sexual problems as you get older, it's a real thing. And I I said to one of my girlfriends, and I wasn't talking about me again, remember. I was like, no husband deserves you to scream in pain when you're having sex, you know? It's not his fault. And it can't make them feel good. But where do you get solutions for that? You know, it's it's almost like the nana in the Latin culture. It's the girlfriends and the women who are like, come here. This is what we're doing. This is what, go ahead. I just want to add that since you keep referring to me for the millennials, that they, we are experiencing it too. Shut up. Because. Is it hormones in the meat? It's a, a lot of times birth control can, can lower libido for some women. And it can, it's a combination of things truly, but it's not just menopausal women. So really? you're, not, you're not alone. Yes. And if I can jump you, in. We're, Nina, who says we're yes. talking about me? Who says yeah, we're talking we're about We're not talking about you. It's just something I've heard. Okay, go ahead. Nina's right. And she knows her population well. For sure. So it's low libido. So um, I'm, I too am comfortable talking about sexuality. Yes. At Kenya Ranch, I give a lecture called Not Tonight, Honey, I Have a Headache. And oh. uh, yeah, it's important. And so it's really Maybe we talking- could do that later tonight. We- <laughs> sure. <laughs> So it's talking, for sure, it's talking about pain with intercourse, low libido, and achieving an orgasm. And so like Nina said, birth control pills can cause vaginal dryness as well as lowering our libido. But sometimes in our younger population, as well as uh, all um, women, we're really stressed out. It's really that mind-body connection that plays such a role. And there are other medications. Let's say a patient has depression and and might be on a depression Mm -hmm. medication, which um, they work very well, there's some side effects, and that could be one of the side effects. So I think for physicians, we're not taught to talk about female sexuality in medical school. Oh, You're we, kidding. No. I, Who I, can I write to? <laughs> 
You'll do a lot of writing. Because I think we, um, unfortunately, in the traditional medical education, we're taught to give a pill, whereas it's very complex. When we think about female sexuality, there's so many factors that play a role that might be outside of the biological. It might be social. It might be psychological. And it takes time to unpack that. And then sometimes we need to refer if there's been trauma in her past that's playing a role. And so I think it's important that we have specialists that we could refer to, but we should start the conversation. And not all women will start the conversation. Well, let me tell you, I am so passionate about this podcast because I feel like we're right at the source with research, with groundbreaking programs around the globe for wellness. You know, we, we are the source. So it matters to me who our sponsors are. It really does. And I was so tickled that beautiful Jane got us together because, you know, if we have help, it w- we would be remiss if we knew something great and we didn't share that information. And at the same time, Mark, what is wrong with having non-stinky laundry and pain relief, inflammation relief, odor relief, feminine health, all those things that are, are on Vireo systems, V-I-R-E-O systems, right? That's right. V-I-R-E-O systems.com. And uh, most of those products are all available, as mentioned on Amazon. And you just mentioned the feminine health product. That's one, uh, as, as I indicated, innovation is a word that, uh, along with creatine that we use a lot. And that product uh, line, the PhD product line, has been incredibly innovative and has changed in a holistic way the, 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 the manner in which doctors and nurse practitioners for women's health, uh, gynecologists, et cetera, uh, practice medicine. It uh, the, the number one reason women go to the doctor are vaginal issues and particularly vaginal odor. And it uh, has a variety of causes and conditions. But previously, all they've had to put them on is antibiotics. That's and, terrible. And it's, there's been a tremendous overuse of antibiotics. And so when, uh, when this product was developed, it basically gave a holistic option to antibiotics and frankly works better than antibiotics in most cases. And so we have, you know, wonderfully, and it's, it's very fulfilling, but women who are evangelical about how it has <laughs> changed their life and how it's been uh, significant. So PhD Feminine Health has been a, an important part of the innovation. And you mentioned the pain management. That, but um, let me go back to the oh, feminine yeah. health. This whole conference has been about just shut up and talk about things. You know, mental mm-hmm. health is not taboo. We even did uh, for Global Wellness Summit on Instagram Live, we talked to the world's leading well, it's a sex toy company. It's very elegant and all that, but you know, because their sales are out the roof, you know, since COVID. But there's imagine. there's the right right way to do it, and feminine health is as important. You know, the vagina monologues, right? People are like, "You're right. afraid to talk about it." Oh my gosh, what? It's the you know river of life, or whatever, right? So why can't it be healthy? Why can't we know about it and talk about it? Why can't it be the sponsor of a podcast about wellness, right? That's right. And frankly, um, a few years ago, a half a dozen years ago or so, I was not comfortable saying the word vagina in public. And <laughs> You've come a long I've way, come, Mark. I've come a long How way. How many kids yeah. do you have? I have four, and uh, and I may still be turning red right now. You I don't are know. A little but, bit. Yeah, Just a little. But, but it is. Uh, it's it's really edifying. It's really awesome to hear how much that product has helped so many millions of women at this mm-hmm. point. It's it's available in all the major stores, Target, Walmart, 
Walgreens, CVS, Rite Aid, all of them. And, um, and, and that is a very significant condition. The, I mean, people go to the doctor for things like that. And the other thing that they largely go to the doc, doctor for is pain and, uh, and inflammation. Yeah. And we, uh, that, uh, one of the things that we have also in that immune support is a, uh, besides the creatine is an, an inflammation formula molecule called alpha G. And, uh, and that molecule is also the one, yes, that's used in the amino active, uh, topical pain cream and capsules and great for any activity, you know, overuse of shoulders and knees and back and whatever, but it helps with uh, the systemic inflammation that comes around from uh, all that extra activity and people getting out and moving and, and it's holistic. It, it's a phenomenal innovative molecule because it does basically what an ibuprofen or a naproxen or those things do, but without the negative side effects. It, 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 it's topical. It, topical uh, and a capsule. So and the capsule. Yeah. Now listen, to be fair, men have issues too, and they need to be listened to the poor little puppies. And so we can't be like, well, it's all about me, right? Correct. Okay. So tell us, Dr. Finley, what would you like to talk, uh, tell us about sleep differences in men and women? How important is sleep to the overall? Sleep is so important. When we think about wellness, um, there's more and more conversation around uh, sleep when it comes to wellness. And um, sleep looks different in women than it does in men. Mm-hmm. And Nina's probably spoken about this on her podcast, <laughs> and is very familiar with this, especially being a pregnant woman. When we're pregnant, um, pregnancy can impact our sleep. We might be uncomfortable, uh, and, and we might have some thoughts through our minds that might be preventing us to get, from getting a good night's rest if we're worried about something. So pregnancy can impact our sleep when we're not pregnant and during um, if we're still menstruating. PMS symptoms can impact our sleep. And then menopause. When we go into menopause, it could be hot flashes or just women as we age, um, we might have more sleep disturbances. And a fact that I think a lot of women don't know is sleep apnea is more common in menopausal women, so women that what? have gone into menopause. I thought that was only husbands. To, I know, <laughs> compared to women who are not in menopause. And people think of sleep apnea as a man's disease, but women can have sleep apnea as well, and they present differently. If mm. you look at the textbooks, the textbooks will say uh, sleep apnea presents as snoring or snorting. Um, and you, you can stop breathing at night. Some women will say, I just don't feel refreshed in the morning. And so that could be her only symptom. Okay, so Nina's going to hate, you know, really get emotional about this one. But <laughs> there's so much that you shared in your health disparities discussion. I didn't know, Dr. Finley, that there was still such a thing as a countable number. Well, every death is countable, but of pregnancy deaths. You know, because you think you live in a modern society, and that used to happen in the old days. What is, help me with understanding how that could be possible in 2020. Sure. Do you want me to share some of those? Yeah. Okay, yeah. perfect. So this is from the 2019 Morbidity, Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Report, and it's looking at pregnancy-related mortality ratios per 100,000 births. And so we're looking at pregnancy-related deaths. And if we look at Black women, 72 deaths for Black women, 30 deaths for Native American women, 14 deaths for Asian or 
Pacific Islander women, Shoot. 13 deaths for white women, and 11 deaths for Hispanic women. So um, I think it's a topic that we don't talk about enough. Nope, nope. And pregnancy is such a happy time, but it can also be a time where if we have chronic medical conditions, they might manifest more. If we think about someone who has autoimmune conditions or someone who has diabetes, and there are health disparities, as I've just shared. Well, let me tell you something. The line that I remember, zip co- the z- your zip code is much more impactful on health than your genetic code, right? I got pregnant at 42. It was a miracle. I wasn't even trying, but I told you I married a Cuban, so I should have rented him out. I could have paid off the house. <laughs> but all I'm saying to you is that the minute I got pregnant, it was like all hands on deck. We've got to keep her healthy. I was a very healthy person. I was very fortunate. But my I knew my body was going, what? What am I supposed to be doing? I mean, you could tell. But... I even remember the point where we realized he was having complications in the third trimester. I don't know at what point they made my regular doctor change and they gave me to a specialist. And it's LA, everyone's like a movie executive, whatever, so they forget to have babies. So everyone's getting pregnant at 40. So they had this team of people that kept your babies alive. Do you know what I mean? And I never felt better care. And what else? Oh, the surgeon, in case I needed uh, a C-section, which has such taboo to it, if you really are a natural, healthy person, a C-section is like a failure, right? We had to make the decision. My baby had sudden heart rate drops. So you didn't want to be in the birth canal and all of a sudden the scuba equipment go and you have to be hacked up, right? So they switched my primary care, you know, what do you call it? Pediatrician, whatever the... OBGYN. Thank you, thank you. Um, was a skilled surgeon so that... Everything was at the ready. And still, I was so terrified that then when, when they yanked that healthy baby boy out of me, I was like, that is a cute baby. Whose is it? I'm having an alien or a trout. I know that because I was so spooked by that point, right? So tell us about tips. If, you, if someone's listening to us that maybe isn't in the right zip code or whatever, what are some tips for keeping healthy? And both of you, please, we'll start with Dr. Finley. As a woman, taking responsibility for your own health care. There's some simple ones, I think. There are some simple ones. I'll get started and then I'll pass it over to you, Nina. (laughs) Going to your prenatal appointments, that's really preventative care. And I think so often some women are so busy and they might not find time for themselves. And so the prenatal appointments are so important. That would be number one. Number two is... Asking your doctor if a high-risk OB, which is where you went to because you're um, the young age of 42, so over the age of 35, going to a maternal and fetal medicine physician, and if someone has diabetes, uh, there are reasons why we would refer to those colleagues, and understanding the quality of the hospital in your community. I think that's important as well. As women, we have choices. We can choose where we want to deliver our baby. You can? Yes, you can. And it's where you're doctor has privileges, but if your doctor has privileges at a hospital and you don't feel comfortable delivering to that at that hospital early on in your pregnancy, you could switch to another OB that develop a relationship with that OB, but it's where the OB has privileges. Uh, So those are important tips and as well as a healthy lifestyle. But I know Nina probably has a lot of tips to mention as well. 
Yeah, well, I want to just add that feeling comfortable with your with your doctor is so important. I was, I mean, being 19 weeks pregnant, I was really particular about who I chose to work with and asking friends who had already gone through the process who they enjoyed working with. And you have to be able to communicate with your doctor. And if something goes wrong, you have to feel like you can trust them and that they're also listening to you because that's a big thing too, making sure that you feel heard. So that's huge. Um, and then of course, I do focus a lot on nutrition. I don't think that there is a specific diet for anybody. And so if somebody is suggesting like this is the prenatal diet or the pregnancy diet you have to be on, that is not the case. But obviously eating food that makes your body feel feel well, sticking to as, of course, as nutrient-dense foods as possible, but really learning to slow down and listen to what your body is asking for is the most important. So slowing down eating foods that make you feel really good. And then of course, taking time for yourself. And like I said, if they're, if you're, if you're into Reiki or if you're into meditation or whatever it is, taking time for you before that baby comes is going to be so, so helpful. And you can do that with an app, right? Yes, or an app. <laughs> Exercising. There's so many ways. Yes. Prenatal yoga. Right. Don't smoke. Yes, that's a good tip. And one thing, oh, I have so much to say on this because I was 42 and I was like, Burr. but um, I'll never forget watching one of my favorite movies, The Way We Were. You know, it was filmed in the 70s and there was a party. She was pregnant. She was drinking a martini. I'm like, get that out of your hand. But then I realized that wine in moderation could be the smartest thing because you're so stressed out, you know. <laughs> and people in Italy have been having babies with wine, you know, for centuries. Okay. The other thing is exactly what you said, Dr. Finley, about the Latin community. Go to your sisterhood. My sister's daughter, she's adopted daughter. She was 10 when she got her. They're not wealthy. They live on a farm. She had four children like a professional. I mean, she just shot out babies, not (laughs) one, you know, what do you call those things that you get numb? Help me. Yeah, sorry, sorry. She just would shoot out babies, right? So who am I going to go for? Too for encouragement, her because she's done it. I want to talk to other women. Community s- is key, yeah. key, key yeah. before and after. Yeah. So remember that, girls. We all have a community. Reach out to them, and also talk to family. Can we talk a minute about diabetes? I mean, I'm getting off hormones, but this seems so. Ugh. Yeah, it, it's true. When we think about diabetes, um, it's really a, a problem in our society. There are a growing number of people with diabetes at a younger age. I remember when I worked at El Rio Community Health Center, when I first started back in 2001, the pediatricians didn't know a lot about type 2 diabetes because they never saw that before. And they started to see more and more overweight and obese children developing diabetes that they started to talk to us as internal medicine physicians. And unfortunately, that trend is continuing to grow. And I could speak to a few statistics in terms of in communities of color. Uh, When we think about uh, diabetes, Native Americans are three times more likely to be diagnosed with diabetes and 2.5 times more likely to die from diabetes than white Americans. Black Americans are 60% more likely to be diagnosed with diabetes and two times more likely to die from diabetes. 
than white Americans. And Latinos are 1.7 times more likely to be diagnosed with diabetes and then 1.4 times more likely to die from diabetes than white Americans. And so when we think about diabetes, um, genetics can play a role, but our lifestyle can play a significant role. And that really goes back to me as an integrative medicine doctor. I think of myself as a lifestyle medicine doctor, the benefits of exercise, and really what Nina talked about, nutrition. It's just so important. Well, another tip I always used was if you want to grab a snack, uh, think about the wash test. If you can hold the snack under running water, the faucet, and it stays intact, try that with a Twinkie. Not going to work. Do it with an apple. Going to work. And, you know, an orange, whatever. Because especially with COVID, you know, they call it everybody's gained their COVID-19. Change. Stop. Walk around the block. Get out in sunshine. Okay, that's up to us. Can you tell us what you mean by wellness villages, Dr. Finley? Yes, it's really what Nina talked about. It's community. When I think about um, how we can empower ourselves as patients or how physicians, we can empower our patients is, yes, coming to the doctor, going to their primary care doctor or their OBGYN when they're pregnant is vitally important, but that's not a hard stop. Then we can continue and our patients can create a wellness village for themselves. It could be the sisterhood that you talked about, Kim. It could be elders in the community, that generational approach for generational wellness. It could be our best friends. It could be family members, our neighbors. If we live in a community that is a healthy community, we're more likely to be healthy ourselves. Versus if when I get together with a girlfriend, we always go for drinks as opposed to saying, let's go for a walk. Um, you know, it's easier when we have a village to support each other. Wow. And now I need to also ask you about two things, um, implicit bias and fostering a patient. You talk about them in whatever order you want. <laughs> Sure. And so that goes back to those the health disparities. And we think about health disparities. How can we overcome health disparities and how can we achieve health equity? One way we can do that is to reduce implicit bias. Implicit bias is this concept that as healthcare providers, I'm a physician. I have many friends who are physicians. Overall, 99.9% all physicians, we want to take good care of our patients, but we don't realize that we might have a bias against patients, and it doesn't have vulnerable patients. It doesn't necessarily have to be uh, specifically what I was talking about, communities of color. It could be in the LBGTQ community. It could also be in the elderly. It could be in rural America. The list goes on. And so if we can overcome implicit bias, that can help reduce health disparities. Ways to do that and to foster that would be um, cultural competency and also cultural humility. That's oh, I, I love that. Can everybody write that down? Cultural when humility. she said that, I was like, yes. Oh, my <laughs> God. Cultural humility. Those are the, that's the phrase of the day. Yeah, thanks. And I think it's that it's that concept that as physicians, we need to look inward. And when we look inward and we think about what culture means to us and we think about uh, perspective taking and how we are interacting with our patients who don't might not look like us or even patients who might look like us, then we can take a step back and culture is ongoing. Um, if I think about cultural humility today, I still need to think about it a year from now as well because oh. it changes over time. Well, you know, um, in the spa industry, they talk about care of the caregiver, right? But we're, 
I mentioned we're working with Esalen, and they're trying to do an outreach program of training other massage therapists and somatics therapists. And they said one of their tenets is erasing disparities. In other words, training the caregiver that everyone deserves the therapy, not just the people that can pay the big money or whatever, everyone deserves. So which brings me to Miss Nina, why did you start your podcast? Who did you mm-hmm. think you were trying to help? Uh, well, I started it because I went through my own situation with going to doctors and feeling like I wasn't being heard with a lot of the hormone issues I was struggling with. I was like, I don't feel well. I'm tired all the time. I have terrible, painful cramps. I don't want to be on birth control anymore. I mean, the list goes on and on. And there were a variety of factors that was causing me to feel this way. But I felt like I kept getting shut down and shut down and shut down. And so finally, I just took it into my own hands and I started doing a lot with nutrition and lifestyle and energy work. And I started to feel better. And I was like, what is this? Like, this is amazing. So that's when I decided to get certified as a health coach and things. But that's what led me to create my podcast. I could talk to amazing experts and doctors (laughs) and people that were in this space so that we could share this information. And it's a free resource. It's a free resource. Yeah. So Dr. Feeling, which brings me to taking control. Tell us, was it you and your baby girl about neonatal jaundice? Was that your story? Yes, thanks for asking. So my daughter, who's 13, uh, she's very healthy. We had a a situation that, and I I agree exactly with what Nina says, it's when we personally go through a situation, then we feel empowered to act. When she was born, uh, all babies, when babies are born um, in in the U.S. in hospitals, uh, the bilirubin is checked to make sure uh, the, uh, the baby doesn't have neonatal jaundice, which is when the bilirubin is elevated. And when it's not treated, can lead to problems in terms of encephalopathy or or problems, neurologic problems. So my daughter had an elevated bilirubin, so glad they did the test. They treated her with light therapy. And then, you know, nowadays you leave the hospital quite quickly. And I think it's good to leave the hospital quickly because I prefer to be home when you're safe and and, and you're comfortable and we don't want to pick up hospital-acquired infections. And when they were discharging us, I said to the pediatrician who was discharging us, shouldn't we recheck my daughter's bilirubin? And she said, well, no, if your daughter had an elevated bilirubin, we could look at her skin and we would notice that it is, uh, her skin would look a little yellow. And I said, well, we're African-American. We have brown skin. There's no way you could look at us Mm -hmm. and see that. And she paused and she wasn't upset. She said, you know, that's a good point. So she said, I'll check it before you leave. And what I should have done is said, I should have advocated more for myself. I want to wait for the results before discharging us. But I wanted to get home. I don't. I trusted my. I trusted my doctor, and we went home and we got an urgent phone call. The bilirubin had actually increased, and so we needed to do the light therapy at home. And had I not insisted and asked that question and advocated for my daughter and for myself, we would have ended up back in the hospital. Um, And I think that goes back to those health disparities. We need to feel comfortable speaking up. We know our bodies best, and we need to work in conjunction with our healthcare providers and bringing in other providers like Reiki, like doulas, and working with the nurses. It's a team approach that works best. Okay. Well, we are approaching the end of our time, but I always like to leave on a fabulously positive note. So as I sit at this table with, here I am, a Romanian, German hiker, swimmer, horse, animal lover, and I see this petite Italian (laughs) podcaster who's going to be a new mommy, but there is a Jamaican-American brainiac 
And here's a le- little known fact about Dr. Finley. You're a certified Zumba instructor? How come? I love Zumba. At Canyon Ranch, the people call me the dancing doctor. So I love... And when I dance with our clients at Canyon Ranch, it really um, decreases any barriers that might be there. And I'm seen as just Nicola. And I am. I'm just Nicola. I'm dancing with you. I remember one Canyon Ranch guest said, aren't you the doctor who just talked about osteoporosis as we were dancing a Zumba dance? And I said, yes. So I, it's a way I really stress. I, I, it's a way to have fun. I love it. I was a minor in dance and I took ballet. My boobs were too big, okay? And I, it was too late for me to go. But I must say that joy and giggling are needed now more than ever. And um, my assistant of eight years is virtual and she does Zumba. So one day I had worked through my you know, yoga or stretch, whatever I was going to do online. And she goes, okay, join me up for my Zumba. And she lives in New England. So I joined her and it was like some older chubby lady in the roof apartment of a building. And we were all laughing and dancing together. Now, who doesn't need that, right? So we need it all. And we need to dance together. Oh, please. Oh, I can't I'll join wait. you. I'm oh. not good at dancing, but I'll join you. I, I like Zumba. <laughs> can't wait. Thank you, ladies. Thank you so much. Remember that Nicola the dancing doctor, says that dance is powerful medicine for everything from obesity and diabetes to anxiety and depression. And it also has the added bonus of inducing joy and laughter. She believes that doctors should be writing prescriptions for dance and movement just the way they do for other medicine. You can watch a video of Dr. Finley's presentation on dancing into wellness given at the Global Wellness Summit as well as 72 other presentations from the November event by signing up for the on-demand package at globalwellnesssummit.com. And for the cost of registration, you'll also receive a copy of the groundbreaking research report from the Global Wellness Institute called Defining the Mental Wellness Economy. Well, that's our show for this week. If you enjoyed it, please pass it on to your friends because as we always say when it comes to wellness, if not now when. This is Kim Marshall from Swell Public Relations signing off. Can't wait to get together again.